Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, January 27th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, an update on the Democratic candidate campaign narrative. Piles of new polls from Iowa, New Hampshire, other states, and nationally. Yang qualifies for the next DNC debate. Bloomberg speaks out against anti-Semitism. People with disabilities still face significant bars against participating in Iowa's caucuses. And John Bolton says he was in the room where it happened, room where it happened. It is seven days until the Iowa caucuses, 18 until New Hampshire, and 280 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. An ever stronger narrative has evolved in just the last few days. The message appears to be former Vice President Joe Biden will have strong to decisive numbers in three of the four early voting states, with Senator Bernie Sanders taking the lead only in New Hampshire, an advantage for the Vermont transplant who never lost his Brooklyn twang. They continue to spar over basic issues of fact and record, such as who supported Social Security and who wanted de facto cuts. But you can read across the media, Biden's strong national polling, even with Sanders nipping at his heels in some polls, and the margin of error for said polls make it fairly good odds that he'll clinch the nomination. The path for other candidates, including Sanders, isn't yet numeric. There aren't enough pledged delegates up for grabs. Rather, the path has to be presenting a compelling alternative that keeps their name and potential in the news so they are spoken of as a viable candidate. That's because everyone is a pundit. Primary voters, in particular, often look at what they think is the likely path to victory, either in a primary by considering who other voters might cast a ballot for or in the general election. In both cases, people may make decisions based on media narratives. Those narratives can be driven by polls and on-the-ground reporting. Nevertheless, they compress millions of people's individual stories and preferences into single tales. Biden continues to score well in national polls across parties that pit prospective Democratic candidates against President Donald Trump. Biden sometimes wins those hypotheticals by 10 percent, but often by several percentage points, and in most polls by a higher margin than any other candidate. Coupled with that is Biden's support among black voters. Over the weekend, another poll found 51% of black voters preferred Biden, just as in a previous national poll. Sanders at number two among black voters is just 17%. This is from last week's Emerson College 7 Live poll that I'll get into a bit later. Biden has not yet won, and Sanders' potential Cinderella story of losing the primary in 2016, of surviving a heart attack and returning to the stump, of preaching an uncompromising vision of an ostensibly more equitable future that has enormous appeal among younger voters, everyone is poised to write that story too. That was Clinton's story in part in 2016, that she had lost to Obama in a bitter battle, become a stalwart member of his administration, and then won in a heated fight over Sanders. Now, she lost is the problem, despite receiving three million more votes than Trump. Democrats want to avoid a replay of that. They need to bring out more voters and win back Democrats who voted for Trump in 2016. Senator Elizabeth Warren in this telling is now an also-ran who peaked too early, just like former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. But it's too early to make that call. There's much more to come. Now let's get into the numbers. I was off on Friday, and we're in the throes of polling madness as Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and then Super Tuesday approach across the next five and a half weeks. So let's get caught up on the many, many polls since Thursday midday. 
According to poll trackers, 11 national and early state polls have been released since I recorded the last episode. I can't go over all of them, but let's look at the most important of them and some important takeaways from each. Let's start with the first in the nation, Iowa, whose caucuses, as I noted at the start of the podcast, begin in just seven days. The New York Times-Siena College poll found Sanders with a significant lead of 25% in Iowa. And the next three candidates cluster together, 18% for Buttigieg, 17% for Biden, and 15% for Warren. Senator Amy Klobuchar got 8%, and the rest were at 3% or lower. The margin of error is plus or minus 4.8%. These numbers indicate that you could see odd outcomes at the end of the caucuses, because as I have reminded you, I'm sure, too many times, in each of the thousands of caucuses in Iowa, every candidate's supporters must reach a 15% threshold within their small group. If they fail to achieve it, they have to move their support to another candidate in the caucus, with so many candidates polling just around 15% and the margin of error in polls that show Sanders in the lead, it's effectively impossible to predict exactly what the final split will be. Over the weekend, Warren received the endorsement of the Des Moines Register, the state's largest paper, and one that apparently voters pay attention to, so go figure. Just to add to that, This poll's leaders aside, 40% of Iowa voters told the pollsters that they could be persuaded to caucus for a different candidate. Also important to consider when thinking about volatility in the polls are three other Iowa polls. A CBS News YouGov poll put the top five vote-getters in Iowa as Sanders at 26%, Biden at 25%, Buttigieg at 22%, Warren at 15%, and Klobuchar at 7%. This poll surveyed a larger pool, 1,401 people likely to vote in the Democratic caucuses and had a 3.9% margin of error. Emerson College 7 News talked to 450 likely Democratic caucus voters and ranked candidates as Sanders with 30%, then a huge drop as in the Times-Siena poll to Biden at 21%, then Klobuchar in third place with 13%, followed by Warren at 11% and Buttigieg at 10%. Billionaire Tom Steyer, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, and U.S. House Representative Tulsi Gabbard received 5% in this poll. Bookmark that 5% for a moment. The margin of error was plus or minus 4.6%. Suffolk University, USA Today, had a different ranking yet. Biden at 25%, Sanders at 19%, Buttigieg at 18%, Warren 13%, and 6% for Klobuchar, but... 13% undecided. This was 500 likely Democratic caucus goers and plus or minus 4.4% on that margin of error. Klobuchar and Buttigieg could be locked out, leaving Sanders, Biden, and Warren with all the ultimate Iowa pledged delegates. Or a determined ground effort could allow Buttigieg or Klobuchar the edge to amass significant delegates in secondary or tertiary positions. The Times in Siena dug into this by asking some shaping questions in the poll of 584 Democratic caucus goers. If only the top four candidates were running, Sanders would get 30% of the votes, Biden and Buttigieg at 23%, and Warren at 19%. But Warren is the top number two pick among caucus goers, so as other candidates are knocked out below the 15% threshold, Warren could pick up significant support at that point. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and, boom, two minutes later, 
you start seeing the under eye bangs and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Flexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TryPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at TryPlexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Let me quickly round up a few other polls and update you on the 8th Democratic National Committee debates. At the national level, ABC News, Washington Post showed growth over the last few months for Sanders and a significant drop for Warren. Its rundown is 28% for Biden, 24% for Sanders, 11% for Warren, 8% for Bloomberg, 7% for Yang, and 5% for Buttigieg. Interestingly, pollsters also asked about satisfaction. 77% of Democrats and voters leaning towards voting Democratic said they are satisfied about their choice. Only 24% said they are very satisfied. The poll also asked voters who they would vote for in their state's primary or caucuses, and Biden had 34%, Sanders 22%, and Warren 14%. Everyone else was 7% or fewer. This was 1,004 adults, but the breakout for numbers by party intention wasn't released. The margin for Democratic primary questions was plus or minus 6%. Emerson College 7 News also polled voters nationally and found among 497 likely Democratic primary voters, 30% broke for Biden, 27% for Sanders, 13 for Warren, 8 for Yang, 7% for Bloomberg, 6 for Buttigieg, 4% for Klobuchar, and 1% or fewer for everyone else. That had a 4.1% plus or minus margin of error. This poll saw 47% of people aged 18 to 29 supporting Sanders, consistent with many other previous polls. Biden's strongest support, not unusually, is among 50 to 64-year-olds, where he has 40% of support. Yang, interestingly, has 20% of the 18 to 29-year-old demographic. This Emerson 7 News poll offers some terrifying insight for those concerned about losing Democratic voters to Trump and to third-party candidates, even though all the Democratic candidates sign a pledge to support the ultimate nominee regardless of who it is. Democratic voters, of course, do not sign any pledge whatsoever. The pollsters asked each voter if they would, quote, vote for the Democratic nominee even if it is not your candidate, end quote. 87% of Biden supporters said yes, 5% said no, 
9% said depends on the nominee. There were similar numbers among Warren and Buttigieg backers within the margin of error, although pollsters recorded zero no's among those candidates' supporters. However, only 53% of Sanders supporters said they would back any Democrat. 16% said no, and 31% said depends. Among the Yang gang, a whopping 42% said they wouldn't support the ultimate nominee. Just 50% said they would, and 9% said it depends. We also have a couple of state polls in from New Hampshire. The University of New Hampshire's poll for CNN finds Granite State voters have started to narrow down on a candidate, but they are still far away. With just 15 days to go before that state's primaries, 49% of voters polled are still trying to decide, 31% are definitely decided, and 20% are leaning. Nonetheless, UNH says voters prefer Sanders at 25%, Biden at 16%, Buttigieg at 15%, Warren at 12%. But we're still seeing Klobuchar, Gabbard, and Yang in there with 6%, 5%, and 5%. 516 likely Democratic primary voters were surveyed with a margin of error of plus or minus 4.3%. Thus, Sanders' lead is outside the margin of error for both him and the next two by supporter range. This poll found a big range for, quote, would not vote for candidate under any circumstances. Between 11% and 13% of likely Democratic voters polled said they wouldn't support Sanders, Warren, Biden, or Gabbard. All other candidates had much less anger associated with them, all at or below 4%. UNH also found that 41% of those voters think Biden is the most likely to beat Trump, 20% favor Sanders, then it drops to 8% for Buttigieg and on down the line. The Marist poll in NBC News conducted a poll of 1,077 likely Democratic primary voters in New Hampshire. Here, Sanders took 22% of support, then Buttigieg at 17%, Biden 15%, Warren 13%, and Klobuchar 10%. Gabbard got 6% and Yang 5%. This poll had a 4.5% margin of error. Among all registered voters polled, a total of 2,223 voters, Marist found the top four Democratic candidates would beat Trump by significant margins, with Buttigieg in a 51 to 41 percent matchup, Biden and Sanders at 51 to 43 percent, Warren at 48 to 44 percent. These are all outside the plus or minus 2.6 percent margin of error. Clinton won New Hampshire by just 3,000 votes in 2016. Also, a poll in Utah by Suffolk University and the Salt Lake Tribune put Sanders at 27 percent in that state among likely primary voters. Warren had 14%, but they talked to just 132 voters with a plus or minus margin of error of 8.5%. Meanwhile, Missouri, likely Democratic voters who will cast ballots March 10th, had Biden at 39%, undecided at 15%, and billionaire Mike Bloomberg at a whopping 14%. Bloomberg is spending heavily in states that vote in Super Tuesday and beyond. The poll surveyed 1,460 people with a plus or minus 2.6% margin of error. And those are the polls. One last note on polls, this wave of new survey information gave Andrew Yang the necessary state and national combined threshold numbers to be on a stage on February 7th in the 8th Democratic National Committee debate. As I mentioned last week, Yang was very close, and now he has plenty. He already collected the necessary number of distinct donors. Now, a wild card is Tulsi Gabbard. She is now polling well enough that she has two of the 5% threshold polls, and with that trend could potentially add a couple more by the February 6th deadline. However, she would need to up her donation game, which is not infeasible. There is a very slight possibility that she would get a pledged delegate in Iowa, while unlikely, if it happened, that gives her an automatic debate slot. 
Yang will join Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Steyer, all of whom were in the seventh debate. Steyer continues to poll very poorly nationally and negligibly in some states, but he has the money to stay in indefinitely. I would not be surprised if the ninth DNC debate puts in place a threshold that would keep out a candidate's ability to buy their slot, as Styers effectively has done. He has spent heavily in South Carolina and Nevada to get the necessary polling numbers and uses digital advertising to achieve the donor threshold. With so much election news, let me just round up two more related stories. First, Bloomberg gave a speech on Sunday in which he addressed the rising tide of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic violence in America and expressed his support for the state of Israel. Bloomberg, who is Jewish, rarely speaks directly about Jewish issues as he does not consider himself observant. I don't know if it's the first time we had two Jewish candidates for the Democratic nomination, but it's certainly the first time two had national prominence. The other is Sanders. Bloomberg gave his speech at a synagogue near Miami, and the New York Times describes his remarks and the mood, quote, Now I know I'm not the only Jewish candidate running for president, Mr. Bloomberg said in his speech on Sunday afternoon, delivered in a ballroom with a roving blue spotlight and Israeli techno and music by the rapper Pitbull setting the mood. But I am the only one who doesn't want to turn America into a kibbutz. The audience whooped, end of quote. For non-Jews, a kibbutz is a kind of communal farming and living community found across Israel that grew out of some of the founding ideals of the country and really the only vestigial remnant in an increasingly right-wing and decidedly capitalist state. A lot of American Jews spend time in Israel, funded by the Israeli government, and live on kibbutzes and come back with socialist ideas. That is what Bloomberg is referring to. The Times noted that Bloomberg is the only candidate to make what it called a major address on the issue of anti-Semitic attacks in America. The New York Times also featured a fantastic story by correspondent Maggie Astor about the difficulty for people with disabilities to participate in the Iowa caucuses. About 300,000 registered Iowan voters have disabilities. Endless issues prevent many people with disabilities from caucusing. Long lines outdoors in severe winter cold before locations open, a lack of access, lack of seating, a lack of general accommodations, and often no bathroom breaks for hours. There's no remote option for people who have conditions that compromise their immune system or for whom traveling is difficult in general or impossible in the winter. Astor wrote, quote, talk to Iowans with disabilities and you will hear the same story over and over. A nightmarish experience in 2016 and repeated pleas that bring only vague assurances that 2020 will be better, end quote. It does appear more efforts have been made, but planning was late sometimes scattershot, locations keep changing, and folks who have disabilities or who advocate for them cannot get definitive answers days before the caucuses begin. I dare you to read this story regardless of any political leaning and not have your blood boiling and eyes brimming at the end when you read of people who simply want to exercise the franchise and cannot effectively do so. Finally, your impeachment summary for today while the Senate trial continues. The big news of the last day is that a draft of a book by former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton claims that Trump told him directly that he was withholding aid allotted by Congress to Ukraine until officials in that country investigated Joe Biden and his son Hunter concerns which relied on manufactured conspiracy theories spread by the far right. Trump also told Bolton he wanted Ukrainian help due to the misguided notion that Ukraine had been involved in meddling on behalf of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2016, a contention that has no evidence behind it as well. All official reports, including those released directly by parts of the Trump administration, pin the attempts to influence the election squarely on Russia. 
Bolton's lawyer, Charles Cooper, said he gave the White House a copy of the book for review for national security issues, a requirement because of Bolton's clearances, on December 30th, just days after the House of Representatives passed articles of impeachment against Trump. Cooper said on Sunday night, quote, it is clear, regrettably from the New York Times article published today, that the pre-publication review process has been corrupted and that information has been disclosed by persons other than those properly involved in reviewing the manuscript, end quote. On Sunday night, Trump tweeted that, quote, I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens, end quote. He also alleged that House Democrats never attempted to call Bolton as a witness during impeachment hearings, despite the extensive public record. The Trump White House refused to authorize any testimony from the executive branch, though some officials, particularly in the State Department, freely gave their testimony anyway. Others went to court to ask a judge to clarify whether they should obey the president's demand or a House subpoena. Bolton also implicated in his book Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and Defense Secretary Mark Esper as having more knowledge or involvement in Trump's alleged aid blockage than previously understood. According to multiple publications, GOP senators are outraged that the Trump administration had this manuscript and didn't brief them on it. It's now a bombshell, though it remains exceedingly unlikely that even a single Republican senator will vote in favor of either article of impeachment. However, it shreds GOP defenses that all information was presented that was needed and that no one has direct information of what the president ordered on Ukraine. It's possible that GOP senators will join Democrats in voting to hear more witnesses or at least to hear from Bolton. The Senate trial started again today and Trump's defense team will conclude either today or tomorrow. Tomorrow is the latest they can under the rules that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky pushed through for the trial. Senators' written questions follow and then voting on motions. Utah Senator Mitt Romney said today that, quote, I think it's increasingly likely that other Republicans will join those of us who think we should hear from John Bolton, end quote. Maine Senator Susan Collins, facing an increasingly tough re-election battle this fall, said in a statement, quote, the reports about John Bolton's book strengthened the case for witnesses and have prompted a number of conversations among my colleagues, end quote. South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham did a classic both sides move, saying, quote, if there is a desire and decision by the Senate to call Democratic witnesses, then, at a minimum, the Senate should allow President Donald Trump to call all relevant witnesses he has requested, end quote. Well, it's another exciting week in the annals of democracy. In the Department of Corrections Department, I'll have to fix that name later, I said that WBUR was in New Hampshire. In fact, the venerable radio station is in Boston. I should know. I listen to WBUR produced programming. That's WBUR FM 90.9 in Boston. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home or on the interwebs at RideHome.info. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. If you like printing history, as I do, check out my Tiny Type Museum project at TinyTypeMuseum.com. I still have a few museums left for pre-order. Tune in again tomorrow for a summary of the latest election news Thanks for listening and have a pleasant rest of your day. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.